Alright, brother, would you mind up opening us up in, in prayer if you don't mind? Father, we thank you for another time to gather together. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that our mind will be clear. Lord, our hearts will be open to receive your word. Father, you see those things that we've come against in the last few days. Father, we just ask that you would empty us of everything, God. That as we hear it, it will be ingrained into who we are and grafted into our lives. Father, let us understand what your word has to say to us tonight so we might live a, a life that's full of joy just as your word says. We pray for those who weren't able to be here tonight, God, for different reasons, especially those that are fighting physical infirmities in their body and spiritual battles in their minds. Father, we thank you for this people and for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so tonight I want to talk about, um, got a title, Don't Underestimate God. I feel that's something that we we all do uh, daily. We don't give God the, the credit of what he can do. Uh, start out with the story. In, in Papua New Guinea, one of the tribes uses these unique arrows to, to hunt with. They don't have any... Um, any of the, the feathers fletching on them. It's just a short little straight arrow. They use it for hunting hogs or they use it for settling disputes. <clears throat> so uh, <clears throat> the arrow is, is it's so short for close combat. It don't have the, the fletching on it because you're supposed to use it really up close. Um, consider for a moment that, that what God does in our lives requires a long-range accuracy, not like the, the ones in New Guinea. He aims us at a whole duration of, of this life and clear through that to the next glory of, of heaven as the distance of sin and the, the wiles of Satan seek to pull us off course. So what God wants us to... Basically, I, I told that little story to say God don't want us to use close combat. He don't want us to, to just stick to using those little short arrows. He wants us to do long range. He wants us to fly true. He wants us to be able to hit our mark what we want to do. In order to do that, we got to give him what he needs. We got to we got to pray, we got to fast, we got to be with him more so he can use us so we can be that arrow, that long range arrow. We are the things that that he takes into account daily. What are the things he takes in count daily in order to enable us to make our target? When we underestimate God because our hearts are hardened, he reveals himself in a new way to make our belief run true. Mark 6, 45-56 is where we're taking our text from. This describes the, the cause of a short-range belief and what Jesus does to correct that short-range belief. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And he went out unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. 
for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of <coughs> Genesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out to the other ship, straightway they knew him. So the churches often like a, a ship uh, tossed at sea, not conformed. We, we may have Christ in us and for us, yet the wind and the tides are against us. There's always something pulling us from what we're supposed to do, pulling us, trying to pull us from God, trying to pull us from church, always. But it is a, a comfort to know that Christ... He disciplines the storms. He creates the storms. He calms the storms. He is the storm. So it's what he wants it to be. He's the master of, of all, everything. The majesty of God is, is lost in the leftovers. We're going to talk about the, the feeding of the 5,000, going to that. The, the story <clears throat> which occurred, uh, Jesus had taken five loaves of bread and two fish. We all know that he, he did that and... He passed them out, and they fed over five thousand people with the, with the, the that. He broke them and handed them out, and uh, the miracle occurred. That the substance of bread and fish increased. It was a miracle of creation. It was as if Jesus reactivated the very substance in the bread and the fish that enabled them to grow in the first place. The people ate to the point of being absolutely filled, and twelve baskets were gathered up as further proof of the miracle of creation was right there before them. Everybody seen it. The disciples seen it. Everybody knew what was going on. The response to this miracle by the people is quite passive. Um, it's very, very passive. No matter what book you read it in, it's like likely took for a while for them to account of, of how it all originated with the five loaves of bread and the two fish to get around everybody and to have so much extra. The disciples, on the other hand, they had a front row seat. They was the ones getting that Jesus was breaking off and give it to them for them to pass out to the 5,000. Their response is particularly puzzling. They hand out the food, and they, you know, they probably ate some of it, I'm sure. Then they obey Jesus and gather up all the leftovers, right? But what's absent here is the response of man to the act of the miracle of creation. There was literally no response. They, they didn't praise him for it. They didn't, they didn't really acknowledge what Jesus had done. They were probably freaked out. <laughs> no, nowhere does it say that, that the disciples worshipped Jesus because of this or that they were in deep awe of him. The leftovers of the twelve baskets are not mentioned again at all. Perhaps they went on with the people to persuade them to leave. We don't, we don't know what happened to the twelve baskets. But <clears throat> it was just like it was supposed to, you know, like, all right, Jesus just did this. There was no worshiping over it. Whatever the end, the majesty of God was missed by the disciples and the people, and so was to speak lost in the leftovers. Why do you think that was so? Was it the exhaustion? Was it the busy moments of feeding the 5,000? Was there an aspect of, of even resentment in the disciples' hearts? In the days, weeks, and months ahead of us all, we'll have uh, many leftovers that we'll celebrate with what Christ has created in our lives. Because of his incarnation, he created forgiveness of sin eternally. He created the means for the righteousness of God to be ours. First, in a positional way, by ultimately an external experience. He created the opportunity for the Spirit of God to indwell in us. 
because of imputed righteousness. For the Spirit will not go into unrighteousness. He made us a new creation, a brand new man. Don't let the majesty of God in all things become lost in the leftovers. we got to give God the glory for everything because nothing happens without Him. Not one single thing happens without God. I had a eye appointment but didn't have an eye appointment today and I was running late. I thought I had an eye appointment but you know anyway uh, I needed to get there fast so from the Pollock prison all the way to Edgewood Drive I hit every green light. Was that a coincidence? It was not. That was God making a way for me to get there without getting aggravated, without just tearing something up, without you know wrecking, speeding. He made a way for it. I gave God the glory for that because that don't happen. I'm like the red light king. I always get the red lights. That's my wife. One time we got two or three green lights in a row. And she's like, look, they were all green. And from that point on, we didn't get another green light. They all, I said, you know, Jinktus, they were all red from that point on. Every single one. <laughs> so the, the defeating of the 5,000 likely took part around 3 p.m. Jesus ensured that the disciples left the shore around 6-ish. <clears throat> when evening came, the boat was already for, far from the shore. Jesus goes to the top of the hill to pray as he does when a storm blows in. He prays until, what they say, about 2 in the morning. In the fourth watch, which is between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus walks out on the water to the boat. So what's the point of that? The, the disciples had had no rest for like at least 24 hours. They had been going and going and going. Once again, they're trying to survive in the midst of a, of a terrible storm. It tells us in verse 45 that Jesus constrains his disciples. He overruled their objections and made them set out even though it was evening and they were exhausted. Jesus is putting the disciples in a situation where it will be impossible not to see and respond to the majesty of God. They wasn't in awe of the, the feeding the 5,000, so let's see if we can do something else here, right? <laughs> it's critical that they know who he is if they're going to, to go the distance with him. They had missed the lesson in feeding the 5,000 because their hearts were hardened. They have been distracted by lesser things. Now the grace of God creates yet a deeper trial that they would know the glory of God and would be transformed by that glory. Not all the storms in our lives are caused by missed opportunities, but this storm emphasizes the universal principle that for any disciple of Jesus Christ to go the distance, you must know who Jesus is. We can't do this without Jesus. We can try. But we're not going to get anywhere. We've got to have Jesus on our side. We've got to have him backing us or we're doing all this in vain. <clears throat> He's not just a provider of food and shelter. He's not just one who, who loves us unconditionally. He's not just one who is there to hear our prayers. He is Almighty God. He is the Lord. He is our Savior. Without Jesus, we are lost. Our ship will go down far from the shore. He is the one who is, is over all, even the laws of the nature are under his feet. We, like the twelve, need to be greatly amazed in Jesus beyond measure and marvel at, at who he is and what he does for us. Jesus is the glorious Son of God inhabit, inhabiting humanity for all eternity. So as to no sorrow, pain, death, and resurrection, that our sin will be completely taken away from us.
we have to marvel at Jesus at everything he does. There, there are two things about how God's glory is seen in, that are striking in our contrast to me. The sovereign way that Jesus causes things to occur. At his commandment, the disciples are put in harm's way. He put them out there. At his timing, he brings rescue to them. His priority of prayer to the securing of their understanding of who he, who, who he is took hours. The fact that Jesus sees these men who are three, around three miles away, tells us in John 6, in the middle of the night, and he sees them straining hard at the oars. He knows the turmoil of their struggle. Do not make mistake his absence for, neg for negligence. He sees and, and he is sovereign. In his timing and his means, he'll do it. He will go to them to glorify himself. He will bring this around to where they can glorify God because they sure didn't do it with the 5,000. Would you say that, uh, oh, I'm sorry, the responsibility of man to call out is the second thing. Did you see how Jesus was going to walk right past him in the storm in verse 48? It's like the time on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24 when he acted like he was going to go, go on, but they invited him in to stay. The sovereign will of God sets up the storm, but the responsibility of man is to invite Jesus in, in to end the storm. The glory of God is revealed through the, the tension of the two, the sovereignty and responsibility. We have a great responsibility on our shoulders. We have to be, I don't want to say Jesus, but we have to be like him. We have to be Christ-like. We have to get out and we have to disciple. We have to get people to come to the house. We have to get people to know Christ. That's our job. That's what he's calling us to do. The disciples' lasting caution. Don't underestimate God. Would you, would you say that in the story that the disciples had underestimated Jesus? I, I would say yes, but I believe he would. It's my guess that they had thought Jesus was going on to find another way to Capernaum. Though Jesus could heal and even raise people from the dead, they didn't believe that Jesus was above the laws of gravity. They didn't think that he could he could walk on water, even though they'd just seen him take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000. They'd seen miracle after miracle. They still doubted. They, what did they say? It's a ghost. They had never met Jesus on this level before and had, in a sense, limited the identity of Jesus and what he could do. They had under, underestimated him, and Jesus corrected that as he calls out these phrases. Be encouraged. I am and don't fear. He calls them to recognize him, to not run from him in fear. He again uses the great phrase that describes the eternal self-existence, nature of God, I am he. That's all we got to know. God is in control. He is going to take care of us. We may not see it. We may be scared. We may doubt. But God is God, and he's going to take care of us. We just got to put our faith and trust in him. With those words, he steps into the boat with them, and there is great relief. The storm immediately ceases. The, the trial is over. There is one thing absent in this account. You remember that the Gospel of Mark is written. What does Mark leave out? What does Mark put in that the other ones doesn't? Peter, right? 
John Mark, who was not present during this event, we believe that most of his writings was done was from Peter and the Holy Spirit. He spent a lot of time with Peter. <clears throat> what is absent is the account which Peter was a source in a part. Like he was part of the story. All right? Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Well, Matthew 14, 28 and 31 describes it, but Peter left it out of his account. All right? When he Mark wasn't there, so how did he know about this story? All right, he spent he spent a lot of time with Peter. Why didn't Peter Peter left it out on his account? Why? I, I suppose at the end of the day, we really can't answer exactly what Peter why he did it. You have to ask him yourself. But we could speculate the reason Peter did was for either his for humanity's sake, um, yeah, I'm sorry, for humility's sake, not to take away from the account of the glory of Christ. And to put it on him, or that even the Peter walking on water, as, as incredible as it was, still portrayed a man who underestimated Jesus because he didn't have full faith in him. He underestimated that God, Jesus, could keep him walking on water. He, he did it. He started out, but then he underestimated the power of Jesus, and then he started sinking, and Jesus had to save him again. We may never really know why until we reach the other side, but I don't think it'll really matter when I get over there. I'm not. I'm not going to worry about asking him. Another question is why? Why did the disciples underestimate Jesus feeding the four thousand in Decapolis in Mark chapter seven when they saw him just feed the five thousand? Why did they question him again? All we have is a few loaves of bread and, and fish when they just seen him feed five thousand. They underestimated God. They underestimated Jesus. The feeding of the 5,000 had taken place in Bethsaida, Luke 9 and 10, where the crowd of the hungry people was composed predominantly of Jews. But the feeding of the 4,000 took place in a region of Decapolis, Mark 7 and 31, the same place in which he had been earlier, refused after casting out the demons from the two Demonics into the herd of the swine, you know, that they run off and kill themselves. Yeah, those were, these were not Jews, but were considered as Gentiles and heathen. So he did a miracle, basically the same thing for the Jews and the Gentiles. It's interesting. The disciples still held on to their Jewish prejudice against these people. After asking their, their faithless questions as to where bread could be found in the wilderness for all those people, they did still bring Jesus that was available. The seven loaves and the two fish. And they picked up seven baskets after that. Why did they question Jesus after they just seen him do it? A miracle of feeding fish and walking on water. We underestimate it. We underestimate God so much of what he can do in our lives. We don't give him enough faith and trust to take our situations and make it his. I'm bad about that. Essentially, the question was asked of the disciples with a twist. It was not merely their faith in question, but their prejudices. There can be no legitimate excuse for the disciples' lack of faith because they seen it. They were there. Like they witnessed it. They was part of it. But their lack of faith was compounded by their prejudice toward the non-Jewish presence. He, he's not going to do this. They're heathens, Gentiles. 
Jesus don't put a value on where you're from. He don't put a value on anything. What you wear, what you drive, what job you have. He don't care about that. He just wants you. He wants your life. He wants your soul. He wants you to love him and want him. I want to leave you with this story of someone who didn't understand God's power and promise. Dr. Admed, a well-known cancer specialist, was once on his way to an important conference in another city. He was going to be granted an award for his field of research. He was very excited to attend the conference and was desperate to reach as soon as possible. He had worked long and hard on his research and felt his efforts observed the award that he was about to obtain. He was really excited about it. He worked really hard. However, two hours after the plane took off, the plane made an emergency landing at the nearest airport due to some technical. Afraid that he wouldn't make it on time to the conference, Dr. Amid immediately went to the reception to try to find another flight. But there was another flight for another 10 hours. The receptionist suggested he'd rent a car and drive there. It was only four hours away. So having no other choice, he agreed, and he rent and rented a car. He hated driving long distances, but he wanted his award because he worked hard for it. So he rented that car and he started his journey. However, soon after he left, the weather suddenly changed and a heavy storm began. The pouring rain made it very difficult for him to see and he missed his turn. After two hours of driving, he was convinced that he was lost. Driving in the heavy rain on a deserted road, feeling hungry and tired, pouring rain, he frantically begged, began to look for any sign of civilization, just somewhere where he could find a barren where he was at. After some time, he finally came across some small, tattered house, middle of nowhere. Desperate, he got out of the car and knocked on the door. This beautiful young lady came and opened the door, and he explained the matter, what he was, what was going on, and asked her if he could use her phone. However, the lady told him that she doesn't have a phone or any electric gadget, just don't have them. But told the doctor that if he would like to come in until the weather improves, he can come in, she Feed him, let him dry off. So hungry, wet, and exhausted, the doctor, he accepted the kindness and walked in there. And, and uh, the lady gave him some hot tea and something to eat. And she told him that he can join her for some prayers. For which the doctor smiled and said that he believes in hard work only. And told her to continue with her prayers. He's okay. Sitting on the table and sipping tea, the doctor watched the woman in the dim light of candles as she prayed next to what appeared to be a small baby crib. Every time she finished a prayer, she would start another one. Feeling that the woman might be in need of help, the doctor seized an opportunity to speak as soon as she finished one prayer. The doctor asked, What exactly do you want from God? And inquired if God would ever listen to her prayers. He further asked about a, the small child in the crib for whom she was apparently making a lot of these prayers over. The lady gave a, a sad smile and said that the, the child in the crib was her son, who was suffering from a rare type of cancer, that there's only one doctor in this in, that can help, Dr. Amig. She said that God has not answered her prayers so far, but she believes that God's going to. She has faith. God will create some way one day where she'll be able to meet him. Stunned and speechless, the doctor was in tears, which were rolling down his cheeks. He whispered, God is great, and recollected the sequence of events. There was a malfunction on the plane, a thunderstorm. He lost his way. All of this happened 
because God did not just answer her prayer, but also gave him a chance to come out of the materialistic world. Give him a chance to meet him. Give him a chance to know God. Don't underestimate how deep the Father's love is for you. Don't underestimate the wonder of Jesus Christ and the depths that he has gone and that he will go for you because there's so many things that we have no idea what he's done. Nothing is out of reach and out of control for God. Have faith. Seek him. And ask him for what you want. And don't underestimate what he can do for you. But just wait for his answer. His time. Because it's definitely not in our time. never is. Give it to God. Let it go. Have faith in him. Does anybody have anything want to add? Any questions? Any Anything? All right, well, I guess I'll close this out in prayer. Lord, we thank you for another time to come together and, and get your word into our, our minds and our hearts, God. We ask you to just be with us as we go through the week. Lord, help us to, to use what we've learned here and, and our whole lives, God, to just reach others so we can be the witness. Lord, help us to, to just live that life that we're supposed to, God. Let our, our life be a, a witness to others. Lord, keep us safe as we travel home and bring us back safely to your house, God. In Jesus' name we give you the praise. Amen. Amen.